Open up your Bibles. We're continuing Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Last week we read that Jesus went up on a mountain and he prayed all night because he was about to select 12 key people that he would then pour into to carry his mantle after him. So the next morning he called his disciples together. It wasn't just the 12. There was a whole group of disciples that were up on this mountain with him. They were all there because he was there because he was their Lord and they were his disciples and And he had been instructing them over a period of time. And so from that group of disciples, he then selected the 12. And like Luke mentioned last week, it was like, well, that's kind of of a mystery. Look look at the guys he picked. But it's exactly as it should be because then that gives us comfort that we we are okay. There's this whole group of 12 knuckleheads that walked with him. And we're a bunch of knuckleheads too, and yet he calls us. One of the things, though, that's really powerful that we have to recognize is he, they walked with Jesus for that period of time. He died, rose again. They all figured it out. took a while, some of them. And shortly after that, there was an event that happened in, the, in, the, in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit came down upon these believers like tongues of fire. And the Holy Spirit came upon them in a, in a different way than, than, than ever had happened before. And all of a sudden, because of that, these guys are now doing crazy things for Jesus. And it's a really good picture. Uh, when we look at, here, here, even, even in the presence of the Lord, walking with the Lord and being taught by Him, I can still struggle. I can still miss the cue. I can still misunderstand things. But once I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and relying and, and praying to God to be filled, to be being filled, as the Word says, be, don't be drunk with wine, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a process to go, now I can do things that I never could do before. I have this boldness, and we're going to see some more of that here in this section. Just, I just want to encourage you that, that that it's, if we try and do things in our own strength, we're going we're gonna to blow it. You know, we're going to do the Peter thing. Stick our, open our mouth and stick our foot in up to our kneecaps, you know. Um, not that he did it perfectly after, after the Acts chapter 2 event, but the day of Pentecost. But there was something outside of his own strength, outside of his own doing that all of a sudden the Lord was filling these guys and stuff was happening. <clears throat> Starting in verse 17, he says, and, and he, Jesus, came down with them, his disciples, stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples all around him and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. <clears throat> they came a long way, these people, this multitude, these disciples, 
the, the ones that were dis- being discipled by Jesus, not just the 12, but the rest of them were spending a lot of time with him or hearing from other believers about this, this man Jesus, about the power that he had. And the word was going out all over. There were people from Jerusalem is uh, 100 miles from, from Galilee. They were traveling long distances, Tyre and Sidon are coastal cities on the Mediterranean Sea, north of Galilee in, in, in uh, Lebanon. And so people were traveling, and it was not a small task. Two, three days travel, maybe longer. Uh, you know, imagine walking. They, did, they didn't even have paved roads. Walking these, these roads, um, which they were used to doing, but long distances was a different story, figuring out where they're going to sleep every night, coming from all over the place, bringing many of them, probably pulling a cart with a family member who had some disease or some ailment or some physical uh, deformity or something, pulling them along, making the, the travel even slower. But they knew something. There was something about the things that they had heard about Jesus They recognized the power in his words. They recognized the power in his presence. Where the multitude, they were reaching out. If if only I can touch him, I'll be healed. We've seen that before. And there's power coming out of the Lord because he is God. The power, the word power is dunamis. It's the same word used in Acts 22. The dunamis power and it's the same, it's where we get dynamite and dynamic. It's an explosive kind of a, a picture. The power of God. And people were getting healed. They were all getting healed. So this was no small thing. This was no small event for any of those people that were there. And they recognized it. And I sometimes wonder how often we miss it here in our culture. There, there's like this, uh, how I view it is, it, in our culture, maybe the Western culture, in America, because I live here and I don't live anywhere else, but that we have kind of this sterilized kind of a, a view of Christianity about what it's supposed to be all about, what, what it really should be like when we look at the life of Jesus and and those guys recognizing, man, I'm, I'm going. I'm all in. I'm, I'm out. I, don't, you know, I just want to hear the guy. I, I need to be healed. The power. And I, and I think, <clears throat> man, I wonder how frustrated God might be, you know, to, to look at us sitting in here, which is good. Been been doing this for ages. Coming and hearing a talking head up front. And, but then what happens after this? Are we really desiring to be used for the kingdom of God, like we'll we'll read? He lifted up his eyes, it says, toward his disciples. Disciples are those who follow or who are trained in a certain disciple, a discipline, and that's what disciple actually means. There were many men and women who followed Jesus by this time, literally 
following him around and who spent time with him and with the other followers, listening to his teachings. And from that group, Jesus picked the 12, and then those 12 would be called apostles, which means one who is sent. So they were discipled, and then they were sent. If you and I want to be effectively sent, we really need to be effectively discipled. The stronger that our foundation is, the less likely we are to be shaken. And you can be a disciple of anything. To be a great fisherman, learn from a salty seaman. To learn how to build something or craft something or to teach something, learn from a skilled craftsman or teacher. Book knowledge, we know, is very important. But along with the book, book knowledge, greater understanding and life lessons come from working through that book knowledge alongside someone else. Living out the words on the pages. One example of that is many of us have gone to college, and so we know the importance of book knowledge. We've we got to get the, if nothing else, we've got to you know, be able to pass a test or something. But there's the importance of the book information. But what's even more important is taking that book information and applying it in real life, living it out, being a disciple E or a discipler. And I think that's one of the great deficits of, of, of our church, at least again in this culture, is that we hear discipleship all the time, but what did, what did Jesus really mean by that? When his disciples, we, we saw the effect of it, we saw the effect on the, on the entire world after these guys went out, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing amazing things, leading others to Christ, and then discipling them. And so I think our, one of our greatest deficits is that idea that we need to be pouring into others. And if we have the mindset of the kingdom of God, if the kingdom of God is the big picture, then... We'll, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone else. I, I need to be focused on that. I need to go, okay, what is going to do it? What is, gonna, what is my purpose? How, what is my direction that I need to be going? How do I need to be pouring into someone else or being poured into myself? Joe, uh, actually Luke, Joe's dad, Luke, and I, I've noticed that Luke uses his dad as an example, so I will too, because... He'd mentioned after first service that <clears throat> when he was hearing about discipleship, he realized, you know, I, I need to, I have grandkids. I, need, I, I really need to be pouring into them, discipling them, leading them. And, and as a grandparent, I've, me, me and Nancy have nine and a half, nine and three quarter grandkids. It, um, September is when our 10th one is due. We don't <clears throat> have the luxury of being close to them, so that's, unfortunate for us, but, but the thought of being able to pour into those little guys, it, it's, it's pretty awesome, and if you have that, that privilege, then please do it, because there's something so much greater than the here and the now, and we'll talk more about that too. As Christians, you and I have a significant advantage. Not only can we walk alongside one another, we get to walk alongside the one who wrote the book. We know the author. We know the words. We, ha we have the words. And, and now what, what I need to do 
is to walk along someone, side someone, if possible, so that we can do it together, that we can learn, we can, we can live out the words on the page in our day-to-day life. <clears throat> One of the thoughts, the ideas that came to, I, I mean, thinking about the idea of discipleship f- for years, it seems like it's such a struggle for the modern church to make that happen. You know, we, we, we like it to happen organically. We like it people to get together and, and do Bible studies and, you know, have a young person come alongside and work with them and, and show them the ropes, you know, on, on how to do life. And, but it doesn't happen, honestly, all that often because, you know, we get busy. We are, we're a busy culture. We, we kind of just make that happen. Almost <laughs> Instead of saying, I'm going to be busy doing stuff for the kingdom of God, we busy ourselves with, with everything else. Even if we just, <clears throat> a group, a handful of guys, handful of girls, just got together and said, hey, read, the, read this section of Scripture, and when we get together, let's share what, what the Lord's showing us. Pretty simple, low pressure, doesn't have to be a formal Bible study, but you're getting together and developing those relationships. You're developing your relationship with the Lord, with other people. You're learning. So Jesus chooses the 12 to pour into, to go deeper with, in order to prepare them for the purpose and the pain of propagating a world-changing message. There is pain. There is a cost. He came down off the mountain. There's a similar story to this one documented in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, which is the beginning of, of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. But there are some differences Matthew was an eyewitness. He wrote that in in Matthew chapter 5. He saw it. He was there. He was writing from an eyewitness perspective. And what we know as the Beatitudes begins uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Luke, though, Luke is not an eyewitness, but he has with great care detailed history as he collected data from eyewitnesses. He wanted to give a clear understanding to others and specifically with his letter to his friend Theophilus. We know that from the beginning of the book. He purposely said he had a mission, really. And his mission actually was for the kingdom of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write stuff down. I'm going to document. I'm going to talk to eyewitnesses. I'm going to get to know the story. I'm going to get to know the story, and then I'm going to write it down from the words of those who saw it, who were there. And he was a doctor, so he's real meticulous. He, we call him an, an historian. It meant something to him because, no doubt, he knew that the things that he wrote, and he wasn't the only one that wrote stuff down, but he knew the things that he wrote could very easily and probably would go out to other people. Theophilus actually, some scholars think that since the the name actually means friend of God, that maybe even that was written to a wider friends of God kind of an idea. But clearly, it was important to him to get the facts right. So this message in here in Luke Luke 6, many commentaries agree, is possibly not the same message that was given in Matthew 5 for these reasons. Matthew doesn't mention the selection of the 12, and he says that Jesus went up on a mountain and sat before his disciples. In Luke, Jesus came down from a mountain and stood on a level place to preach which leads many scholars to identify this message as the Sermon on the Plain versus the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew mentions more blessings than Luke does. He says, Blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, 
Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, etc. Luke's Beatitudes are simply four blessings and four woes. Matthew doesn't mention any woes. <clears throat> so one thing, if it's really hot, you can open that door. I'm actually kind of warm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Remember, too, that Jesus was an itinerant preacher. That means that he moved around. There was no church building that he was in. He could be speaking the same message over and over again multiple times to different groups of people. So he could easily speak something a little bit different to some, one group and, and, and uh, another way to another group. And the reason I, I build that case is because, because of what we'll get into when we're talking about blessed are the poor, because I believe that he's speaking primarily to disciples, as it says, he lifted his eyes toward his disciples and then began to speak. So he moved about speaking and teaching and there was so much that Jesus did that was not written and collected in the New Testament. John writes at the end of the book, of his book, in chapter 21, that even if everything that Jesus did was written down, documented, that the whole world probably couldn't hold all the books that would be written. Isn't that an amazing statement? In three years. If everything that was written that Jesus did, not even the world could contain all the books. To me, that's amazing. Because we, again, we kind of get tunnel vision a lot of times. We get focused on this, and this is what we have. But don't you just wish sometimes, man, I wish there were more words in red. You know, most of our Bibles have Jesus' words in red. I would... I wouldn't mind carrying a, a Bible this big if, if he had documented more of those red words that Jesus spoke. I would even, I'd pull it behind in a trailer. Here, I'm bringing my Bible to church. <laughs> John chapter 6, let's see, get a crowbar. <laughs> I wish he would have written a commentary. Wouldn't that be amazing if Jesus wrote a commentary on his own words? The words of Jesus by Jesus. That would be the ultimate, besides the Bible, bestseller. <laughs> but we do have an example of what it could have been like in uh, Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, which uh, Pastor Luke will probably get to in about a year and a half, <clears throat> there's, two, there's two brothers, two guys walking on the road to Emmaus. They had seen all this radical stuff that had just happened. They knew of the trial of Jesus. They knew of the beatings that he received. Maybe even had seen his back being torn open by the whips that had the, the rocks and the sharp things inside that would just open up anyone's back. They seen him carry the cross possibly through town and being helped by another brother being nailed to that cross, being dropped into the hole, hanging there, thorn on his brow, blood pouring down, the spear eventually going into his side, hearing the words of Jesus while he hung on the cross, possibly seeing him put into the tomb 
but hearing of Jesus raising from the dead. In fact, that had just happened this morning when these guys are walking. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So, so it was while they, they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near, went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And Jesus said to them, what kind of a conversation is this that you, that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in town that doesn't know what's been happening here in these last days? And he said to them, What things? <laughs> I, think I, really, I really appreciated that about the Lord. Here he is walking with these guys here, and they're, and they're sad. They've heard about all this stuff. They've heard about possibly an empty tomb. It's been a rumor. But they're sad. And Jesus, and they're saying, well, we're talking about this stuff. And Jesus goes, well, hey, tell me what things. As if he didn't know. And they said to him, the things concerning the Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all the prophets, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And here's the amazing part then. Not that that's not amazing. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And wouldn't that have been the most amazing Bible study? To have Jesus expounding the Old Testament scriptures. Creating, uh, making man in his image. We'll make the, them in our image. Yeah, that would, he'd be saying, that was Jesus. Jesus and, and the Father and the Holy Spirit. The angel, appearances of angels and, and, and uh, messengers. Uh, that was Jesus, yeah. Um, wrestling with Jacob. Remember, Jacob wrestled all night with this man. Yeah, yeah that was Jesus. And he, he touched his hip, remember? <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was Jesus. The psalmist wrote of Jesus, he would say, talking about this very thing that you guys are talking about the crucifixion, the resurrection. And to, sit and to walk through the Old Testament and, and them not understanding that it was Jesus who was talking to them. He, he goes on to say, then they drew near the, to the village where they were going and he indicated that he was going to keep going further 
But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's close to, to evening, and, and the day is far spent. And, and so he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Did not our hearts burn within us? It makes me, the eyes opening, makes me wonder if maybe they were there at the, at the Last Supper when Jesus did the breaking of the bread. Soon they saw that, they realized, Jesus, it's you. And then they look and he's gone. Oh, man. To be so pumped. They, they heard the rumor. They heard the story. They heard the women. They heard about Peter going and seeing, not finding anyone. Where's Jesus? And then seeing him walking on that road, expounding the Old Testament scriptures to these guys. Wow, amazing. And then their hearts burned within them. You know, I look at, I look at the reaction to some of these guys and I go, man, sometimes that's missing in my life. The burning, knowing that he is Jesus abiding in me. Why do I not burn? Why do I not, oh, just love to be in the word? Why do I not have this constant kingdom of God perspective? How can I walk with the Lord, not physically, granted, but still not at times feel like, man, what is there else to live for except for the kingdom of God? And why is my heart not burning for that? What we do have, though, the Word, it's not, you know, the expanded Jesus version. Mine actually would probably be 20 feet tall because I'd have to have the, you know, Large, the large text. <laughs> okay, mine's ten stories high. But we do have what we have. My personal belief is that the biggest problem the church has today is twofold. First, that we don't know the word like we should. And like I said, I'm guilty of that. Two is that we're not obedient to the things we do know. What a difference that would make in our culture, in our world, if we, were, if we were doing that, if each and every one of us were in the Word and each and every one of us were obedient to the things that we read, it, it, would, it would be world-changing. It really would. We have access to so much, and yet we always are, are real good at, at finding a reason not to tap into that. Uh, it, it we, we know about the WWJD bracelets and shirts and hats and stuff like that. Somebody might actually be wearing it. And it just, <clears throat> I know that the intention is, is good. What would Jesus do? It's to cause us to go, yeah, what would Jesus do in this situation? It gets me to think. But at the same time, I wonder, 
you know, we say that, what would Jesus do? But we fail to actually look and see what Jesus would do. When, when we have access to the Lord through his word. So the Sermon on the Plain here in Luke chapter 6, I'd like to look at it as though uh, these hearers were unfamiliar with the Sermon on, on Luke, in Luke chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> so back to Luke 6, verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Important verse. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. They, they treated the the prophets the same way that they would, might treat us. But woe to you, he says, who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so they did to the false prophets. So there's the, the, three, the three blessings and the three woes. A blessing is God's favor poured out on a believer's life. God's love for us is unconditional, but God's blessings are often conditional. Not in the sense that, you know, if I behave myself, I'll get a treat. You know, if I don't pinch my sister or fight with my sister in the back seat when we get there, I'll get an ice cream cone. It's not that kind of a thing. Not in that sense. If I, if I don't fight, or excuse me, I said that, <laughs> but rather... If my heart is right toward God, if I'm not living in sin, if I'm surrendered to His will, etc., His blessings will come, and oftentimes just by virtue of doing the thing that He asks. For example, in Philippians chapter 4, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will then guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I make my request known to God, believing that He hears and cares, and that I'm blessed with peace just by virtue of giving it to the Lord. And what's interesting to, my, to, to me to that passage is that He doesn't say it, and, and you'll receive the things that you ask. Or, I mean, there's other places where Jesus specifically says, ask, keep asking, seek, keep seeking, not keep knocking. There's a persistence there, and there's even that promise that it will be rewarded. It doesn't say that here, but the point is that when we do, we receive that blessing of peace just by virtue of giving it to the Lord. When you recognize that you're a new creation because of what Jesus did on the cross, then you can respond to God in worship and praise, and that's a blessing. Verse 20 says, Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples. I read that. Sorry. I'm getting ahead of my notes. I'm getting behind my notes. Whatever. <laughs> First of all, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God really is all things that pertain to God, depending on the context. It's the eternal heaven. It's the body of Christ and the church. It's God's purposes for all believers. It's the gospel message of salvation. And it's that which is in the heart of the believer. It's all 
the kingdom of God, all wrapped up. It's who God is. It's who we are in Christ. It's the kingdom of God. It's heaven. It's eternal. It, it's, it's everything that the Lord is and everything that he wants us to be. So then the kingdom of God is for believers. It's not for unbelievers. You must be born again, Jesus said, to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus here in verse 20 says, the poor. But I don't think he's speaking to all poor because he's talking to his disciples. So a disciple is then a follower of Jesus being trained up in the ways of Jesus. It's a man or woman who, being chosen by God, chooses himself or herself to live and surrender to his call. He chooses me. I choose to follow God. I, I choose to live for the Lord. I want to walk in his ways. I want to pursue him. I want the things that I do to be for the kingdom of God, to mean something, to be relevant. In each of these statements that he reads here, or that he speaks here, he identifies the realities of being a follower and what the results of that calling will be in both the costs and the rewards, and that's important. There are costs associated with pursuing the kingdom of God. So for believers who are disciples, I believe he's saying two things in regards to poor. One, those disciples who are either poor and view their poverty as a way of making a difference for the kingdom. Or two, those who choose a lifestyle of serving God that will never bring them financial security. So there are those, just to, to make things clear, there are those who are disciples, who are believers, who are rich, and that's okay. But there are those who are poor, and they're poor for a purpose. In other words, well, I should put, put two ways. There are those who are, by their situation, poor, but they're believers. So my thought is this. For those in that first group, let me ask, if you're in that situation, if you're here as one who claims that Jesus is your Lord and you've been born again and have serious financial worries, my question is, how is your prayer life? Are you crying out to God in surrender, asking that His will be done? Are you asking Him to give you direction and hope and peace? Are you living in a way that honors God and asking Him to use not your money but your life? So here's what I'm saying. You may or may not have control of your financial situation. But if you have little, you can still give what you have. Through prayer, through sharing, through pursuing a godly lifestyle. For saying, Lord, what I have, what I have, take it and use it. However much or how little. And what happens is, what happened to us about a year ago. God's faithful. He answers prayer. We were in a, we were in a situation. We had uh, left uh, California in 1990. I was a fireman. I had a good-paying job. But we chose to go, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go help plant a church. We did that again in, Col in Washington, Colorado, back to Washington. We moved around a bit, California, then back to uh, back here to Corvallis. Not back here, but two 
Corvallis, where um, I took a job as a, a director of a Christian student housing facility. We lived with 40-plus college kids, and that was a challenge. We had one small room, and there was an attached bathroom, but we shared the kitchen. Um, we had a lot of challenges, actually, but we did that, and it, was, it turned out to be a, just a, a, a great learning experience. But we knew we could only do it a couple of years, so I got licensed as a real estate agent, uh, had a couple of clients that, that wasn't doing so well at the time, about a year ago. Um, I worked with a, a general contractor. He didn't have enough to work, work to keep me busy. I even got a job as a school bus driver for a couple of months, <laughs> and that was interesting. <laughs> I thought, man, I get to be a grandpa <laughs> to this whole busload of kids. How sweet is that? How awesome is that? They terrorized me. They terrorized me. It was miserable. And I have a lot of respect for elementary school bus drivers. The, the middle school kids were fine. It was those little cute little guys coming on. And as soon as they... Uh, anyway. So there, there was this time. I had three things going on, and still we were... We weren't sure if we were going to make it. How, how are we going to pay our bill? How are we, we going to be able to pay rent? It was, it was a, a scary time. And I realized at that point, I've, I gotta, I've got to seek the Lord. I've got to go and pray some real hard prayers, fervent prayers. And we lived near a railroad track. I would go out there for a while almost every day, take the dogs for a walk, and, and just cry out to God, Lord, you know what we're experiencing right now. You know what the future holds. I don't. You're sovereign. I'm not. But Lord, it feels... Pretty scary right now. The, the result was he, he provided. We moved here, and here we are. I've been talking with Luke for, had, had been talking to him for a number of months, praying about coming over here and that. that but uh, So we finally did. But the point is that I had to get to a place, and I don't even know if that's exactly God's plan, but the result was that my heart was, my heart was changed. We'd never really been in that situation before. We'd moved around, had to take a lot of... Every time we moved, I'd have to find a new job, and, and, but we always seemed to have a little bit of money in reserve. Well, the money we had in reserve this time got spent. And the Lord provide. He'll, he'll provide for you. I guess this is my point. So we, we had a, a, a... The doorbell rang one night, and I opened the door, and there was a letter with $1,000 in it, and we needed it. God provided that way. I tried to find who it was. Got, looked outside. Who is it? <laughs> Wherever they were at, they were hiding because they couldn't have got away that fast. So they were having fun. It was a blessing for them, blessing for us. But the key thing for me was that I was in a place where I had to seek the Lord like I had never sought Him before. And many of you guys are there too, especially in regards to finance. Some, there's a lot of stuff going on. But since the, it's talking about money here, that's the emphasis. But it could be anything. And what we... What we hope to do is that we'll receive some, some support from a brother or sister or some other government entity or something like that, and that's all good. And that may be how the Lord provides, but, the, but the, it's, the, it's the attitude of the heart that we need to have to go, Lord, I need you so much right now. And when things are good, Lord, I need you so much right now. 
recognizing that, seeking the Lord, crying out to Him. Then for those who have chosen a lifestyle of serving God that will never bring them financial security, I put into that category people like missionaries. We have a, <clears throat> some people we know as a doctor in Corvallis, and for 13 years he knew he was going to be a missionary, and uh, they're actually leaving finally this Thursday, going to Soto, Ethiopia in Africa. There's one hospital, it's a Christian hospital, that serves about 5 million people in that, in that area. 5 million people, one hospital. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He'll do a lot of surgeries, but the whole emphasis of that, of that hospital is to share the gospel with every patient that comes through that door, and there's like 30,000 people a year or something. I don't know what it is, something ridiculous. So that's a person who has chosen uh, that lifestyle, yeah, I could, I could be here, I could stay here in, in America, I could have a nice comfortable living, I could have a nice comfortable home. But with that kingdom of God mindset, they couldn't stay here. He, he, he knew that for 13 years. In fact, before he started his education as a doctor, that, that the medical thing was just a way to get them out the door. <clears throat> He talks, about, he talks about riches. We're to hold on to things loosely. You know, but honestly, we're so influenced by the me first, my stuff kind of a, of a mentality. And it, again, I mean, I, I am so blessed to live in this nation. I mean, aren't, aren't we all? I've traveled a bit. I've seen other countries. I've been to Europe and, and Russia and Mexico and, and, and different places, and, and there's nothing like coming back home. Nothing like it for these missionaries, this family, the Hodges that may be going or will be going this week. They may be gone for a year, come back for a little bit, go back again. I guarantee every time they step on on American soil, oh, so good to be home. The downside is that is that sterilized kind of a Christianity that we somehow have, has taken shape in our culture where it's about here it's about this, this building, hearing a message, going, man, that was great. Or in my case, that was lousy. Where are the tomatoes? We've got to throw some tomatoes at this guy. And they walk out the door, and it's, it's as if nothing even happened. So if we walk out the door today and we have this kingdom of God mindset, we start praying, Lord, what does that really look like for me? How can I change? How can I be effective? What really matters to you? Not me. I've got stuff, but I need to hold on loosely to that stuff. Not, oh, you know, the Lord's trying to take, uh, um, yeah, it's all yours, but wait till I'm done with it first, you know. We had some people come by that, I don't remember how we ran into them. This was years ago. Young couple, had a kid. They were obviously on, had, were passing through, were camping, didn't have access to shower. We said, hey, come and, come and use our shower. And one of them did. One was too embarrassed. But we offered them some camping stuff that we had. Uh, a cooler and a, well, no, a tent and a, a you know, stove thing where you cook things on. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of feel good. Yeah, kingdom of God stuff. Except that in my heart I'm going, I need to buy a new one anyway, a better one. 
a better stove. So even with that, you know, I still had that mentality that, you know, it's still kind of about me. We need to die to ourselves in that regard. To say, not just to say, this is yours, but wait, wait till I'm done. I'm almost done. We know guys in the Bible that did that. Hey, I'll give you everything. I want to serve you, but wait, you know, let me bury my, wait till my parents die or, you know, just give me some time on that. But I'm all in. I think, I think that we're like that a lot of times. We know. We're Christians. We know. We want to give it all to God. And we'll say it, but not, not really mean it so much. Because, frankly, sometimes it's an inconvenience. Blessed are you who hunger, for you shall be filled. Living in surrender may sometimes mean being hungry. If I choose to serve in a third world country, for example... My eating habits are going to change, and I'll go hungry. Well, they don't have, you know, all the organic food that I like to eat. They're eating bugs and weird stuff like that, so I'm probably going to lose some weight. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. As followers of Jesus, to live for the Lord, we've opened the door to a whole world of caring that we didn't have before. I remember... uh, a young young guy who had just gotten saved, and he said, you know, this, this Christianity thing, I, I'm seeing things differently. I'm actually kind of caring about people that I didn't used to care about. You know, we, we're obviously really self-centered without Christ, and yet his eyes were open. I was like, wow. Al- almost like he was saying it, almost like, this is kind of scary. I'm not sure I like this. But our, our mind, our our, our our focus, our, it changes. We have compassion for the hurting. We find ourselves weeping for those who weep. We can't disengage like others can. It sorrows us to see people wasting or destroying their lives or to see kids being robbed of their, their innocence for, to satisfy man's lust. And so there's a price to be paid for those opened eyes that we're asking God to do for us. Open my eyes, Lord. And when we do, we get saved. It's like, wow, there's so much evil in the world. There's people's phones going off during this service. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, awesome. God, he's embarrassed. <clears throat> to have his eyes, to see the world as he does. But on the other side, there'll be laughter. There'll be joy for us. Yep, it's hard now. It's going to be better. It's going to get better. Jesus said, you will be hated for my name's sake. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. If you're hated, excluded, reviled, your name cast out, don't be surprised. Uh, Just expect it. That's the world we live in. People hate God. People try and tell us there is no God. We perceive our Christian rights fading, shrinking. I don't know about here, but in some places, your kids can't pray in school can't have your Christian groups there. More and more of that. But what helps me in that process to rec- is, to, is to look at the Bible as a, uh, God is the God of the whole world, not just the United States, right? And I think about all the other cultures who have been struggling forever. They, you know, they don't even know what it's like to, to live the kind of life that we have. Don't even know it. 
And what they do, they take back, and then they make lots of money trying to sell it. But for so many of them, it's, it's not. Um, that, that's easy to see on, on documentaries and things, how people are living. Woe to you who are filled, who are full, excuse me, for you shall hunger. That's just being self-indulgent, self-centered, full of yourself. Woe to you who laugh, for you shall mourn and, and weep. I think how sad it is when a Christian is blind to the suffering of others. So we had the, the, the blessing part. Now we're looking at the woe part. Woe to you, as disciples even, who are blind to the sufferings of others, who are disengaged from the sorrows of the world, unconcerned about sex trafficking, abortion, and murder, thinking, man, I've got enough problems of my own. I, I, I don't have time for that. Unwilling to help because of the potential risk or cost. But that's not the heart of Jesus. That can, that's my heart a lot of times. That's not the heart of Jesus. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so they did you know, uh, to the false prophets. And that's just a person who's more concerned about what others think of him than what God thinks of him. He's what the Bible calls a man pleaser. You know, how do I look? How, what can I say to do or impress others? Focusing on that. So Jesus has given us a, a perspective with these words of his, comparing the blessings and the woes, contrasting the life of the believer here on earth with the blessings of heaven. Trouble is here for the believer. We know that. We're, we experience it. More so believers in other countries. I always, for some reason, get this picture in my head of those dozen or so Christian believers in uh, I don't even know what country it was, uh, somewhere in the Middle East, down on their knees, and standing behind them are the ISIS guys with the swords, getting ready to cut off their heads. One of the things I noticed about that picture, and hopefully it's true, is that there was a peace. I don't know what kinds of things they wrestled with before they got to their knees. But I, what I saw, and what I hope is true, is that they were surrendered. I'm a dead man. It's going to happen. I'm going I'm to lose my head right now. But guess what? I have eternity. I, I'm going to be standing before Jesus in just a few seconds here. And that's such a cool, as, as evil and as hard as it is, it's a picture for me. And I'm worried about simple stuff. Can I pay my rent? Well, how about can I keep my head, you know? And it hap it's happening so much, and we don't hear about it. The things are going on in the Middle East. Christians are dying every single day in very evil ways. Not just their head, but they're you know, cutting, getting cut open, organs taken, just all kinds of weird stuff. Because they love Jesus. Praise God we don't have to deal with that here. Praise God, you know. I, I don't know how many of us would actually be able to handle that. How many of us would go, ah, pfft. Okay, Lord, I'll give you everything, but wait until after this, this stuff happens. This stuff passes. Then I'm all in. <clears throat> so he's given us this perspective. And I believe here's what we need to say. Lord, give me a heavenly perspective for one. And bring the, the, the kingdom of God into focus. We'll have the worship team come on up. <clears throat> and we'll take communion. So on this eternal timeline, 
that is all of existence. We're only here for a fraction of it, right? I like to keep that in perspective. And all, here's the timeline. Let's say this is all of eternity from that wall to that wall. And we're, we're way over here. And, and, and the time that we're on this planet is a sliver, 80 years, 90, if you really want to live that long. And then all of eternity. So what would it be like if we could just go, you know what, in this 80 years of my life, can I just live for you, Jesus? Can I live for the kingdom of God? Can I say, Lord, take me and use me? I, and I don't, I don't want to hang on to stuff. If I can say, Lord, when you ask it, it's yours. We see it all over. We, the, the, the missionaries, the people around town that are just, hey, I'm, I'm, just, I'm doing what Jesus wants me to do. I'm surrendered. I, I don't care if I, you know, if I don't get my Harley Davidson, which would be cool. But, but just to say, you know what? None of that matters in eternity, right? Yeah, it matters here on that sliver of time. But we have all this to enjoy the Lord. So man, my heart for us as a church, for me as a person, as a disciple, is to go, man, I, I want to die to myself. I want to die to myself and live for Him. Communion, this right here, what we do every week, every Sunday. I want to ask you guys to, when you take this communion, that you would not just go through the motions, come up, grab, you know, the stale cracker and the juices, not even grape juice, I think it's cranberry juice maybe, and go over and sit down and just say, Lord, what do you want for my life? And, and, and be honest, but then say, God, I want you to get me to the place where my eyes are off of me and onto you and the kingdom of God. That's what I'm going to be praying. What Jesus did, this, what this represents is, is that all that stuff that the, the guys on the road to Emmaus were, wow, all that stuff happened and now the, the tomb is empty. And we, and Jesus, yeah, I'm, I'm alive. I'm, 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 I've been resurrected. It's, it really is me. And they see it, and it's like, oh, my gosh, my heart burned. So this represents the, the death and, and resurrection of Jesus. The, the bread, his body, the juice, his blood. For you and me, he died for us. We can't deny that. Historians can't deny it. They try, but he did exist. What they say is, they make excuses. Well, he, somebody came and stole the body. You know, there's all different ideas. But we know it as believers. He's risen. He is real. My T-shirt even proves it. <laughs> so when we come up for communion, you guys can come on up. We take communion. Let's just thank the Lord and say, use me, Lord. In whatever time I have left, maybe you're already 90. Paul Hannah. <laughs> it's a joke. 
But, but whatever I have left, young or old, find that, that place. Come on up, and we'll pray. God, Lord, we thank you for this right here, this, this cracker, this juice that represents what you did on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life, so that we can look beyond this time that we have on this planet to the future, to heaven. And whatever that looks like, we know it's going to be good. Just help us to to do what we need to do here. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for the ability to remember what you did as we take communion. In Jesus' name.